Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Good to be with you. I'm, I'm excited for today's message. Um, Lisa said we are going to talk about something that we don't talk about a lot. In fact, I actually don't know if I've ever preached a message on this topic, which uh, seems kind of strange. I want to talk today about heaven. I want to talk about heaven. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to the message, but I want to just kind of create a tension point for you that we can start with together. Say you have a dear friend. Um, you have a relative, you have someone who's, who's close to you, and they're terminally ill. We're making up a scenario. Um, and you go to see them before, you know, um, things decline for them. And they say to you, what do you think heaven is like? What's going to happen to me after I die? It, how would you respond to that? I mean, if you're like me, you probably would say something about like streets of gold and no more tears and no more sadness and and then after that, it gets a little fuzzy, right? Uh, and I, and I got to I gotta tell you, that's, that's true, I think, for a lot of us as Christians. Sometimes the no more tears and no more crying is enough, no more sadness, no more, you know, no more pain, that sort of thing. That's enough. But I know that there's a bigger story of what heaven is about in the scripture. And so I want to spend some time there talking about heaven. I want to talk about heaven as a wonderful, wonderful reward. Because that's the way the Bible positions heaven. It is our reward. Um, what is heaven? Let's start there. Um, well, if you watch movies, you've seen Hollywood heaven, haven't you? Yeah. It's where angels go to get their wings, right? Um, it's wispy clouds. Um, there's no color. Everyone's wearing white. There's no scarves, there's no necklaces, there's no earrings, there's no belts. And to my knowledge, there's no pants in heaven. Um, it, Hollywood heaven must have a mega fog machine because you can never see the ground or anybody's feet, right? Uh, Hollywood heaven is disembodied spirits floating around on clouds with harps, right? And, and honestly, we've been influenced by Hollywood heaven. So when we think about heaven, it's sort of this ethereal place. Um, but I want you to know that heaven is real. It's a real place, and you get to go there. And some of you go like, well, that's great, but I grew up in church, and what I've heard is that heaven is just one really long church service, <laughs> right? <laughs> no wonder we don't want to go. An hour is long enough, Amen. Once a week for an hour. What are we going to, my, my kids have even said to me, what are we going to do all day in heaven? And I'm like, well, the day never ends in heaven. And they go, oh. <gasps> right? I mean, I think when we, when we look at heaven, you can kind of get these funny pictures. Like when I was a kid, I used to pray, God, please don't come back until I get married and have sex. <laughs> you know? So we don't know a lot about heaven, but we know that it can't be greater than marriage and sex and maybe a trip to Hawaii. I mean, those have got to be better. God, can you just wait till those things happen for me? Well, I want to, I wanna, you know, continue to create the tension with this statement. 
I believe that a faulty view of heaven confuses life on earth. Let me say that again. A faulty view of heaven confuses life on earth. You see, if you go into the story of the Bible, you see Jesus with his disciples. And, you know, Lisa took us to, to the moment of communion. That was the Last Supper. In John chapter 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. He um, celebrates the, the Last Supper with them, giving this whole new meaning to the Passover meal. And, and he, Judas has already left. He's en route to betray Jesus. And so Jesus has this moment with the 11 remaining disciples. And in that moment, you might wonder, what is it that Jesus would actually say to his disciples? This is the last time that I'm going to be with you like this. I mean, if I was Jesus, I would say, okay, guys, I'm counting on you. <laughs> like, you're it. So here's the strategic plan. Here's the organizational structure. Maybe I would have even talked about, okay, this thing that you're building, it's called the church. Say it with me, church. And, and, and this is what it's going to look like. But Jesus doesn't do that. It's very interesting. Jesus knows what's coming for his disciples. He knows that what's coming is rejection and persecution and hostility and martyrdom. And so here's what he says to them at the opening, the opening verses of chapter 14 of John. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If, they, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You see, Jesus understood that what they needed based on what they were going to face was a crystal clear view of heaven and the reward of their eternal home with God. They needed to understand eternity. Listen, it's going to get tough, but I am coming again. I've got a prize for you. There's a reward for you. And the truth is, we all face hard times. In fact, I would imagine that there are people in this room that would say, this is the hardest time of my entire life right now. Maybe you're here today with a burden, with a pain, with a struggle, with a fear. Maybe you're here today with anxiety or you're, you're wrestling through what your future looks like or what you thought you could count on is literally falling apart. Listen, it's not Google, it's not Apple, and it's not Tesla that will save us from the pain and the, of, of life and the reality of death. We need something else, friends. And just like the disciples, we need the hope of eternity. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to help you understand this a little better. In fact, I want you to know that I had grand plans for this sermon. And then I realized that it would be about three hours long. And so because I love you and I want you to love me... <laughs> We're not going to get through all of the, the things that I wanted to get through. And uh, those who know me well say, thank God for that. But I am going to talk about heaven. And I want to kind of scratch the surface of the ideas of heaven. And so let's start uh, to understand heaven a little bit better. Let's start with this. What are the meanings of heaven that you find in your Bible? 
there's a couple of, of meanings that I'd want, I'd want you to know. First one is this. When, when the Bible talks about heaven, it's talking about the sky and the universe. You know, when it says that God created the heavens and the earth, that's heaven, but it's also just, you know, the sky. It's the stars. It's the sun. It's the moon. It's, it's, it, it, it's, it's up there. And sometimes we do that with heaven. It's up there, right? And so you, you see this clearly in the scripture, even in other places. In, in Psalm 19, verses 1 and 4, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And depending on the version of your Bible, it would say the heavens proclaim the work of his hands. And then in verse 4, it says, In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. So, so there is this sense that when we talk about heaven, we could be talking about the sky or the universe. But that's really not the topic of today, right? Uh, I'm sure other people could do a lot better job of talking about the stars and the universe than I certainly could. I want to talk today about another meaning of heaven, and it's simply this, the abode of God. It's where God is. It's where God lives, if you will. Now, Understand, we already talked about this a few weeks ago. God is omnipotent. Uh, God is omniscient. God is, God is omnipresent. So God is everywhere, and he has the power to be anywhere that he wants to be at any time. But there also is a place where his throne is. In fact, in Revelation chapter 4, John has a vision of this heaven, the, the abode of God. And, and this heaven, there's this incredible picture of the brilliance and the prism of light all around this magnificent throne with mighty sounds and peals of thunder and the flashing of lightning and creatures around the throne singing endlessly worship, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And there's all these elders there and every time they, you know, at a certain moment, they throw down their crowns before him. There's this awesome picture of worship, this brilliance, this beautiful throne. And that's the abode of God, the current abode of God. That's what that vision that John had was all about. But where is it that heaven was first revealed? You see, heaven first shows up right in the beginning of the Bible. In fact, here's what I'd like you to do. If you have a Bible why don't you open it up like a, a, you know, a, a paper Bible? That'd be great. If not, there's some in the back of the pew in front of you. Um, or just get out your phone because I want you to, if you have a Bible app on your phone, if you don't, you can download it. It's called Version. You'll be done by the time the sermon's over. But anyway, that's okay. Um, but you can even just look on BibleGateway.com and you'll find the Bible there, okay? I don't want to send you on a wild goose chase, but I think there's something about walking through this little portion with me, okay? So grab the pew Bibles, use them all, throw them around, well, you know, treat them, you know, but pass them out and let's, let's look at this together. Genesis chapter 2. So second chapter in the Bible, right at the beginning, Genesis chapter 2. And and, um, and then we're going to go to the very end of the story of your Bible. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. Where, where is it that heaven is first revealed? And I'm going to show you here in creation. Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. 
The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. So just let your mind create that picture. Yours might look a little different than mine, but just create that picture. This perfect place that God himself planted. Trees, river, all kinds of beautiful, it says pleasing to the eye, good for food. I mean, they could eat every leaf off of every tree. It was all there. In the middle was this tree, and there's like a river just like flowing, just naturally watering everything. It was like built-in irrigation. God did it right. I just want you to have that picture in your mind. And he took man and he placed him there. He said, man, here is heaven on earth. Perfect. It's perfect. It's the perfect, beautiful place. He also, in that place, provided a perfect companion. God himself would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, but Adam was given Eve, and Eve was given Adam. And together, the Bible says at the very end of chapter 2 that they were naked and felt no shame. This picture is beautiful because what it's saying is there was no sin. There was no insecurity. There was no mixed motives. There was no comparison or hypocrisy or abuse. It was perfect. It was heaven on earth. And the reason why I share this with you is because there is an amazing mirror image to this one at the very end of the Bible. So if you've got the Bible there, go to the very back. Just flop it all the way to the back. And then go back just a little tiny ways to Revelation chapter 22. It's the last chapter in your Bible. And in Revelation chapter 22, you're going to see something here that's amazing. And the heading in my Bible, and I don't know if it's the same in yours, is Eden Restored. Isn't that cool? We just read about the Garden of Eden. Now we're going to read about Eden restored at the very end. Here we go. This is Revelation 22, verses 1 to 3. It says, Then the angel showed me, this is John's revelation, the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. There's a city here. And on each side of the river stood a tree of life. Okay, look, let me just make one point here. This is too cool to pass up. In the Garden of Eden, there was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And here we have only the tree of life on both sides of the river. It's beautiful. And this this tree of life is bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding each fruit every month. That's pretty amazing. That's an incredible harvest. It's just an endless harvest, an endless blessing, an endless fruitfulness. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the, come on everybody, nations. So we have cities and we have nations. And no longer will there be any curse. Amen. 
Amen. So we see the beginning and we see the end. And what we're looking at here is that everything that gets destroyed between Genesis 3 and Revelation 20 gets restored when God brings us into this place known as the new heaven and the new earth. And so let me show you this image. uh, And I'm calling this the timeline of history and eternity. Pastor Andy's going to get a little teachy here for just a minute. Is that okay? Uh, this, yeah, I, I heard it over here. Yeah, he said, yeah. Let me show you this image for just a minute, okay? So when you're looking at this image, we've just talked, we started in the beginning here at the Garden of Eden. That's Genesis 1 and 2, God with man in a perfect earth. It was a perfect creation. And now skip over to the end. And we just read about the new heaven and the new earth. This is Revelation 21 and 22, God with man in a new heaven on a new earth. And so what we have here, if you look at the timeline of history, you have the Garden of Eden when everything, when, when heaven first was, you know, heaven is on earth. It's perfect. And then you've got Genesis 3 through 19, which is basically all of your Bible. You, and this is the fallen world. We see in Genesis 3 the fall of man. And God, God is separated from man in a cursed earth. And unfortunately, bad news, that's where we live right now. <laughs> And then you've got this moment in history. It's just a few verses long in your Bible. And this is where Christ returns and starts the restoration of everything and judges the earth and then sets up the new heaven and the new earth. So Christ's judgment, final, Christ's return, final judgment, God with man in a temporary earth. That's God with us on this earth. So I, I just want you to see that picture for a moment because I want you to understand that this is where we live, but God is mirroring his initial design in the new heaven and the new earth. All we've ever experienced is the fallen world. And so now I want to back up. You're in, you're in Revelation chapter 22. Let's back up to Revelation 21, just one chapter back. And I want to talk to you about this new heaven and new earth from the scripture. It says, I'm reading in verse 1 to 5, Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That's that fallen world. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, oh, this is so good. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. Now let me stop for just a moment there. Because one of the passions that we carry as a movement, almost 100 years old, is we have a passion for God to move, and we have a passion for revival. Can I have an amen? Amen. We want to see God move. We want to see him shake our city. We want to see him draw people to himself. We want to see the transformation of our city and our island and our nation as God moves in power. And I want you to know that what we're crying out for when we're crying for revival is this. We want God to visit earth. We want heaven to come down. Amen. We want the, 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 the God who has created us to visit us. And when he does, powerful moving happens. And out of everything that I'll share with you today, this is the best part, friends. 
There is nothing like the presence of God. And having the presence of God dwelling among us is so beautiful. That is a powerful picture. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Praise the Lord for that. And now the the good stuff, the stuff that you may have already uh, known. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. The old order of things is what we're experiencing right now. We're experiencing all of these things, the pain, the the hurt, the mourning, the crying, the death. But it will all pass away. And he who was seated on the throne, God himself, look what he says. I'm making everything new. I'm making everything new. Listen, you saw it in the garden. It, it, you've seen the fall. You've, you've experienced this broken world. And I'm going to make everything new. Hey, this planet is amazing, but it is absolutely nothing compared to what the new heaven and the new earth will be. It's like trading in your old beater for a brand new Tesla. Some of you are going like, I want a Tesla. Fine, fine. Just go with me. The point is that there will be things about the new heaven and the new earth that are familiar to us. There'll be things about the new heaven and the new earth that mirror the garden, work, life, relationship. I mean, when you think about all the best things that you have ever experienced in this life, they simply can't compare to what God has planned in the new heaven and the new earth. I'm wearing my Vancouver Island shirt. I'm a big fan. If the Garden of Eden is still here, it's on Vancouver Island. Amen? (laughs) Come on. Wow. You can talk about natural beauty somewhere else. We go, (laughs) come to Vancouver Island. Della Falls, Botanical Beach, Cathedral Grove. But friends, it's nothing compared to what God has planned for you. (laughs) it's nothing it's nothing at all you know what I'm hoping in the new heaven and the new earth that I've got wings because I want to fly and I don't want to take an airplane I just want to see it all you know I want to know what God has, has done and what he has built and like the old earth the new heaven and the new earth will have cities and nations and art and beauty and relationships so let's just soak that in for a minute friends throw away your your small view of heaven it's so much bigger than what you think it has been in your mind Hollywood's got it wrong Jesus has been preparing it for 2,000 years it's going to be pretty awesome Awesome. Amen. Amen. See, if we have a a faulty view of heaven, it confuses life on earth. And all of a sudden we start thinking, well, maybe it's not that great, or, or it's just this weird place I don't know much about, or it's a boring church service forever. And we lower the joy of the reward of the Christian. There is a place that's being prepared for you that is like nothing you have ever experienced. Wow, what a reward. So some of you are saying, okay, Andy, I'm following you. So I get the new heaven and the new earth. That's pretty cool. What happens when a Christian dies now? What happens? Okay, let's go back to that image for just a minute, just quickly. 
We've got this picture of the fallen world. That's where most of the Bible is. That's where all your Bible characters are all the way up to today, right? And so what happens when I die and I'm in that space still here? We haven't got to the new heavens and the new earth yet. So what about that? I want to talk to you about that for just a minute. Here's what I believe. 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and 8 gives us a really neat picture. It says, therefore, we are always confident. That's good. Nice to be confident. And know that as long as we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. So we get it. We're here now. We want God to come. We want a visitation. We want to be with him. We realize that physically we are not in the presence of God. He visits us by his spirit when we gather or when we invite him. But we realize that we are away from the Lord. We are confident, it says again, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body. And what's the result of being away from the body? And at home with the Lord. So let me just give you the baseline theology to answer that question. What happens when a Christian dies? When a Christian dies, they immediately go into the presence of God without delay. And scholars and theologians call this the intermediate heaven. So in other words, it's not the new heaven and the new earth. That's still yet to come. This intermediate heaven is, is a place in the presence of God where we await the new heavens and the new earth that are still yet to come. And Jesus actually references this place in his parable in Luke 16 about the rich man and Lazarus. Let's look at that together for a moment. Luke 16, 19 to 22. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Jesus is creating quite a disparity between the rich man and the beggar. The time came, verse 22, when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. That's the picture Jesus uses to create for us this idea of the intermediate heaven. Abraham was the man of faith and, and uh, it was credited to him as righteousness. He is now in the presence of God and the, this Lazarus was carried to his side in the parable. Um, this is, in my, in my opinion, the intermediate heaven being, being shown to us. It's kind of funny because I grew up, I'm a church kid, I'm like a Sunday school kid, and so I learned some, I was kind of in that age range where we switched from King James to NIV. I don't know if any other church kids had to go through the trauma of relearning verses. You really want the prize, but the King James and the NIV, anyway, so... When um, Eden, who's quite interested in the Bible, we're reading the Bible together, and right now we've just finished Leviticus, and all of us said, thank you, Lord, for Leviticus. Now we're in Numbers. Pray for us. We're not out of the woods yet, but we're working through the Bible. And Eden has had, I I hope, I always have to pay her money when I talk about her, and she's here to hear me, so I'm in trouble. But um, Eden was asking me this question, what happens then when you die? I'm like, oh, good question. And I said the King James Version. I said, you go to Abraham's bosom. She says, that's disgusting. I don't want to go to Abraham's bosom. That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. So Eden, you'll go to Abraham's side. Okay, that's what the NIV says. So the point here is that Jesus speaks to the immediate transition from death to eternity. Immediately, 
upon death, there is a translation, transition into eternity. And so this parable makes it clear, though, that there are two destinations eternally. And so let's read, um, back up just a bit, read 22 again, and then read on in the parable. It says, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, your version might say hell, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham from far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in, the, in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. So let's not make more of the, peril, of the parable than there is there, but let's allow the parable to give us the concepts that will help us in today's message. There are two destinations spoken of by Jesus, not just here, but in many places. Heaven, which is a place of comfort, and hell, which is a place of torment. Matthew 25 helps us understand that this place was not prepared for humans, but for the devil and his demons. And so if heaven is a real place, which I believe it is, then I must also believe that hell is a real place because Jesus talked about them side by side. So Jesus ends his parable by really giving us the point, And he says in verse 31, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Why am I bringing you here? There is a point. And the point is this. This parable is Jesus talking about himself. He's talking about himself and what he's referring to is the lack of belief that is existing in those that he is trying to reach. And so when it comes to eternity, your destination is based on whether or not you believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That's what makes the decision. So look at how Jesus speaks of this. Now we're going from one Lazarus, which was a parable, to a real Lazarus who was the one that Jesus raised from the dead. And at this point in the story, we're going to jump over. It's going to be John 11. And as we jump to that, what you're going to notice is that Jesus is saying, hey, it's okay that Lazarus died because I'm Jesus and I have power. And so in the story, it's, let's look at it. John 11:25. Jesus said to Martha, who was Lazarus's sister, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then the most important question in the world for all of us to answer is, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And the reason why that is the most important question is because the answer determines your eternal destination. It is that important. And I want to encourage you, reply like Martha replied. She says, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Two destinations. One based on belief and the other on unbelief. So let me help you with this statement. God doesn't send people to hell. He rescues them from hell. 
God doesn't send people to hell. Unbelief sends them to hell. And I want you to hear the heart of God expressed in the scripture. It comes to us in 2 Peter 3, 9. It says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. In other words, come on, God, where are you? I thought you were coming back. When's that, you know, Christ's return and, and judgment? And let's get on to the new heavens and the new earth. This word says, he's not slow, as you might understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That is the heart of God. This verse makes God's desire for humanity very clear. God's desire for humanity is heaven. That's his desire. Heaven. That's what he's created for us. Heaven. And so if that's God's desire for us, if that's our eternal reward, let's take heaven seriously. Yeah? Let's enjoy the idea of it. Let's relish the reward that's yet to come. Let's take it seriously. And here's what I want to help you do as I'm closing the message today. I'm going to ask you three important questions. And these are your reflection questions. I want you to reflect on this. First question is this. Are you certain that you're going to go to heaven? Because you can be certain. You, you know, remember the verse that says, we're confident, you know, we're confident that we're going to be in the body and away from the Lord and then away from the body and with the Lord. We're confident. You can be confident. You can be absolutely and completely certain. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you saw me hold up the grace card. I gave everybody a grace card. I hope you still have it. Well, maybe you had to use it already, but it's a grace card. And, and the point is this. It's not about giving to charity. It's not about attending church. It's not about doing good deeds. Your access point to heaven is found in the person of Jesus. And in this person of Jesus, God sent him to die in your place to pay for your sin. Believe on him. Believe on him. 1 John 5 says it this way. Whoever has the son has life. Isn't that simple? Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And here's, here's what John says. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can be confident. You can be certain. Have Jesus and you have life. Second question. Do your passions and priorities reveal a temporal or eternal perspective? And this question's probably mostly for those of you who are followers of Jesus and who want to walk with the Lord. You see, there's a blessing, the Bible says, for those who long for the return of the Lord, who long for God to come back, for Christ to return. There's a blessing, and I think that blessing is that you get to shake loose a little bit of stuff on earth. You're not plagued and controlled and chained by the stuff of earth. 
because you understand what Paul said in Philippians chapter three, our citizenship is in heaven and we're eagerly awaiting a savior from there who is the Lord Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, <laughs> just passing through. I want to do it well, but I'm only passing through. I want to be a good citizen of heaven on earth, but I'm only passing through. And so really, when it comes down to your passions and your priorities, are they temporal? Are they eternal? I would say, I would say it this way. If we sat down together and I opened up my calendar and you opened up your calendar, would it show that there's a priority on the eternal or the temporal? Hey, if we opened up our bank accounts, which we would never do, <laughs> but if we opened up our bank accounts, would it show, would it show that we prioritize the temporal or the eternal? I think the Holy Spirit just wants you to wrestle with this. Like Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. May the Spirit speak to you. And this third question is actually the thing that I want you to take out the door today, my friend. And it's simply this. Are there people you care about who don't know about heaven or how to get there? Oh. This is our reward. We need to share it. And, and, you know, the interesting thing is, is God has blessed you. No work of your own in this. God has blessed you with the reward of heaven. And the interesting thing to me, the crazy thing to me, is that God's only plan is for everyday believers like you and like me to courageously look people in the eye and say to them, eternity is real. That's my hope for this message. Is that in my life, in your life, I feel the joy of the coming reward. I feel the motivation to shake loose of some things that would hold me back on this earth. And I feel courage rising in my soul as a gift from the Holy Spirit to say to others, it's real and there's a blessing and God loves you and he has a plan for your life and he cares so much about your eternity and he's made his way clear. You don't have to guess, you can be certain. So may God grant courage to his church. Amen. Pray with me. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you so much for this amazing picture of the heaven that is to come, of the reward that belongs to us as believers. We thank you so much, Lord, 
for this, this massive, this bigger picture, Lord. No more Hollywood heaven for us, God. No, thank you. We want all that you have planned. We want to be a part of what you're doing in the new heavens and the new earth. We're excited about our reward. We realize, Lord, that 80, 90 years would be our max on this planet. Eternity is a really long time. God, help us. Help us by your spirit to have a perspective that is eternal rather than temporal. And Lord, for those of us who have felt like we haven't really done a good job of that, we pray, I pray in the name of Jesus that today would be a new day. That this would be the moment where husband looks to wife or wife looks to husband or friend looks to friend and says, I'm different now. I'm different now. Eternity matters and I live for the reward of heaven. And so, oh God, we pray in Jesus' name that you would come by your spirit and do this work. Give us courage. Lord, for some of us, there's a conversation we know we just have to have. And I pray for grace. I pray for wisdom. I pray for the right word and the right season and the courage to say them. And I pray, oh God, that you would expand your kingdom through your church as a result. In Jesus' name, God is our reward. And we praise you. Amen. Amen. Amen.